بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والحمد لله رب العالمين وسبحان الله العلي العظيم لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك يحيي ويميت وهو على كل شيء قدير ونستغفرك ربي ونتوب إليك إنك أنت التواب الرحيم لا حول ولا قوة إلا بك أنت الرحمن الرحيم ونصلي ونسلم ونبارك على محمد النبي الخاتم الأمين المرسل رحمة للعالمين سبحان الله We cannot ignore what surrounds us all over the United States, what has become the plight of the nation. This drama comes at the wake of numerous demonstrations and protests that focus on the issue of racism in this country. Racism in its many different forms, but particularly particularly the most troubling issue of police brutality and the unjust killings of many minority people, especially African Americans. There are several things to say here from an Islamic point of view. What is the most remarkable is how everything is interlinked and with social laws like in physical laws there are equations and rules for causation that make the current situation regrettable but not surprising.
for years since the rise of the conservative mo movement, not just in the United States, but all over the West, the so-called neocon, neocon movement, and the rise of nativist movements, not just in the United States, but all over the West, and the rise of the clash of civilization ideology, which the United States played a central role in, and the rise of American militarism, and American militarism spearheaded militarism all over the West, militarism by Britain and militarism by France, Militarism even by Canadian military forces and Danish military forces where you will go to many different parts of the world and you'll find Danish forces, you'll find Canadian forces, you'll find British forces, American forces. All of that, all of these various movements People, time and again, ignored the fact that there were stark and undeniable resemblances between the historical reality of colonialism. And let's not forget that with the rise of colonialism, was also the rise of slave trade, modern slave trade. And with the rise of modern slave trade was also the rise of modern racism. So with the new form of colonialism, although people resisted calling it colonialism, but that's precisely what it was, there was a very simple logic a very simple logic that we allowed to grow in the world and become anchored. Those who are rich and powerful are entitled to monopolize the resources of the world and to assign themselves privileges denied to others. The difference is that with the rise of the neocon movement and the new form of imperialism and the new form of colonialism, that movement, which was largely a white movement, a movement of white privilege, had a new ideology that served it and justified it and made it feel better about itself. And that new ideology, whether you want to call it the reading of Ayn Rand or a new form of thinking about liberal democracy as the Judeo-Christian tradition that the rest of the world doesn't share, 
or a rejection of white guilt, or it had an ideology often centered on evangelical and missionary Christian values, a belief in a Judeo-Christian civilization, and, and this is a very critical point, and an embedded hostility to Islam. Judeo-Christian civilization as the bearer of humane values and the positioning of Islam as a straw man that embodies all the values that are the antithesis of the Judeo-Christian moral values. Put it this way. Yes, there is a history of slavery in this country. Yes, we are all familiar with the history of Jim Crow laws. Yes, we all know the horrible history of racism and lynching in the United States. All of that are all of this are facts. But we also know that in the 60s there was a vibrant civil rights movement that produced results. We do know that the civil rights movement was making serious and important progress, but especially after 9-11, although it really starts with the Bosnian genocide before, long before 9-11, with the end of the Soviet Union, if you want the, 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 the critical mark. But before that, there is a major reactionary movement that systematically, that systematically regressed the ideals of the civil rights movement. So we had a horrible racist history, several decades where at least there was an effort to address the legacy of racism. And then suddenly, with the rise of the neocon movement and the rise of new evangelical Christianity, and the rise of the Judeo-Christian notion of civilization with the fall of the Soviet Union and the rise of the clash of civilization thesis and the rise of Islamophobia. Suddenly, white privilege felt like there is nothing to apologize for. 
nothing to feel guilty about. And indeed, white privilege felt, well, if you have a problem with slavery, if you have a problem with racism, if you have a problem with colonialism, get over it. This was the past. Just get over it. We saw that on university campuses. We saw that in our military policies around the world. We saw that in the way that we talked about things like the invasion of Afghanistan and the invasion of Iraq. But what we were doing is that effectively we were all ignoring the monster in the room. And the monster in the room is racism. All of this was camouflaged ways of avoiding racism. And let me be, for all the Muslims out there, let me be very blunt. For now, for a very long time, I have written so many articles and even written it in several books that Islamophobia was a symptom of a much much serious sorry a symptom of a deeply embedded problem of racism that Islamophobia was simply the low-hanging fruit the racists couldn't say what they really believe about blacks or about Hispanics or about Latinos, but they could trash Muslims all they want. They couldn't sit there and talk about the evils of black nations and black movements, but they could. Every racist who wanted an outlet for his hate would go to Islam because they can sit there and they can say the most hateful things about Islam and get away with it. So Islamophobia was simply the barometer of a social malaise, of a social problem. The mess that we are in didn't just happen overnight. And it's not that people just woke up one day and decided to have a conscience. The movement that I'm talking about, the social problems that I'm talking about, truly started After 9-11 was the rise of the neocon movement and the rise of the Judeo-Christian movement and the rise of the Clash of Civilization movement when suddenly those who have privilege in our country decided, yes, we're privileged, yes, we're rich, but it's your fault that you're not as rich as we are, and it's your fault that you're not privileged as we are, 
And we don't want to hear complaints about that anymore. We don't want to hear about colonialism, and we don't want to hear about racism. And we also don't want to hear about sexism. As an indication of that, look at what happened to affirmative action. So many around the country decided that affirmative action is actually a form of racism and abolished affirmative actions in university campuses all over. As a result, I can tell you that blacks became a rare sight, a rare sight in a place like my law school. You had generations of white students who would go to school and graduate and they have, might have never met a single black person. Well, if you don't have a black person in your classroom, the only black person you see is on TV or on the streets. But you don't have a lived living experience. Our zoning laws made white neighborhoods more white and black neighborhoods more black. Dynamics that led us to perpetuate violence upon the world and feel little guilt for it, but also to perpetuate violence within our borders against the disempowered and feel no guilt about it. As we exercise militarism around the world, we also militarized our police. Because those who manufacture and sell military hardware are the same companies with the same marketing departments. And there are huge profits to militarizing the police in the same, pro in the same time that you are building military bases around the world. Few people know that not only did we build military bases around the world, but we sent our American police force around the world. We became the world's policemen. And we taught our law enforcement that this is a dangerous age, this is the age of terrorism, and so we trained our military and trained our police to be far less humane and far less interested in humane values and far more interested in power results. Is it a coincidence that those who committed war crimes by the most racist administration that the U.S. has experienced, period, in the modern age, is also the administration that pardoned war criminals? Isn't this the administration that came to military officers who've committed war crimes in Afghanistan and Iraq and said, don't worry about it, you don't have to be in prison, it's okay.
everything evil is is interconnected in the world. Evil is interconnected. You cannot see a police, the police lynch a human being, as we all saw with the Floyd case. That was a lynching under the color of law, but it's a lynching. You, you bring a man, you put your such weight upon them on their neck, they, they keep telling you, I'm dying, and you ignore him and, until he dies. That's a, pretty much a lynching. But that doesn't happen without a process of acculturation in which you are teaching people in all type of subtle ways that there are in the world we live in, there are people who truly matter and there are people who don't matter. That militarism and violence is okay. That the arrogance of power is okay. I've noticed something that as an immigrant, I probably would notice more than, than people who were born and raised here. When I first came to the United States in 82, I still noticed that the police were trained to at least be polite when they make calls or make traffic stops. And I've systematically noticed from 82 till 22 that the police is no longer trained in being civilians, being civic with civilians. That police often feel free to say swear words, to cuss, to not return a good morning, not to always address you, to dehumanize you by always addressing you as sir or ma'am, regardless of what you're doing, or regardless of the need to, for that distancing and that dehumanization. And I realized increasingly that that's just part of the training that we provide for these kids that police our streets. And the most amazing thing is that when they retire and you meet them as human beings, you discover that they could be very decent human beings, but it's the role, the institutional role that we train them in. Brothers and sisters, the election of Donald Trump, someone who we all saw in TV, owning, or I, I don't know what, what his role precisely in money-wise, was wrestling uh, matches. But I remember his image very well where he jumps in a wrestler ring, ring and start punching the opponent. A, a brute. A brute, a bully, someone who on TV is bragging about his ability to commit violence. Someone who is outspokenly sexist. Someone who has a long history of Islamophobia 
but also double standards. Cusses out Muslims at the same time he is in bed with Muslim businessmen and makes millions of dollars from Muslims. Someone who is outspokenly racist. The election of Donald Trump was a symptom, not the problem. Because I know so many decent Americans come, you sit with them, and they say, yeah, Donald Trump is a sexist. Yeah, he's a racist. Yeah, he's an Islamophobe. But I like him because he's good for the economy. That's precisely what neo-imperialism does and neo-colonialism does, where humane values do not matter as much as power and the values of economics. For me, any human being that tells you, yes, he's a sexist, yes, he's a racist, yes, he's an Islamophobe, but I still like Donald Trump because he's good for the economy. You're spitting in my face because you tell me in order for you to have a little extra money, it's okay to hate me and to hate blacks and to hate Asians and to hate Latinos and to hate Hispanics. It's okay to hate us and to dehumanize us and to marginalize us. The United States has often led the modern world. That's just the reality of the situation that, they, that they, this historical period The problem is with the election of Donald Trump and his team to the White House. Is that racism no longer needed to be apologetic. And white supremacy no longer felt like it, it has an illegitimate ideology. And Islamophobia thrived. Few people understand that this that the moving of the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem is intimately connected to the racist policies to the that led to the killing of Michael Floyd. It's all interconnected. If when power is arrogant and stops caring about the rights of the disempowered, that arrogance spills over everywhere. The same mentality that says the rights of Palestinians don't matter. Yes, they they're, they're live under occupation. Yes, they're oppressed. Yes, they are subordinated and dominated and abused is the same mentality that will overlook the suffering of African Americans 
and that will overlook racist policies, and that will overlook the fact that all the first world countries with the ex are, are white countries. In other words, all the, the advanced countries in the world are white. And even the non-white, like South Korea and Japan and South Africa, have been thoroughly whiteized culturally. South Korea is a white culture, because, thanks to American occupation. Japan, thanks to American occupation, is a white culture. South Africa, because of the sizable white population, that till now is still in control. This is not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that whatever country is white, it rules the world. And if you're not white, doesn't matter how much money you have, you're always disempowered and, and behind everything. This is the nature, the heart of racism that leads to the killing of people in the streets of Minneapolis or in LA or in Florida. It's all interconnected. But there's a further element here, and that, quite honestly, I am extremely worried about American democracy. So many of us left our countries, our homelands, because we know that if we were in our homelands, we would be thrown in prison, tortured, and we wouldn't see the light of day. And that we came from countries that will target you and target your family because of you and eradicate you from the face of this earth. The problem with all these countries, all of the oppressive dictatorial countries, is that the military has become politicized. And the military acts as the arm of oppression for the ruler. Without an exception, every dictatorship in the world, the military is subordinated to whoever is in power, and the military is used to oppress the civilian population. So when we have a sitting American president who uses the military to push back peaceful protesters in the way that we all saw on TV using gas and rubber bullets and so he can cross the street to take a picture holding the Bible to say, I love this book. Holding the Bible. When we have that same president refer to the protesters around the D.C. as terrorists and request from the Secretary of Defense that the military be used against civilians 
and that his own Secretary of Defense has to turn him down several times, we then must be deeply concerned. Deeply concerned that American democracy is seriously at risk. Because all it takes is for that one military commander that tells the dictatorial person in power, yes, sir. That's all it takes. And once the military starts shooting at civilians, the military doesn't like to lose battles. That's the way they were trained. And they will keep killing and jailing and imprisoning until they believe they've won a battle. But that's an elusive feeling. It will never come. The more they kill, the more they feel the battle has not been won. The more they imprison and torture, the more they feel the battle cannot be won. So they keep doing it again and again and more and more. It is extremely dangerous. There is an Islamic obligation in all of that. An Islamic obligation. As a Muslim, you must understand that when you go stand, stand with your African-American brother and sister against racism, that you are also standing against Islamophobia. That when you support the just cause of the dispossessed and the oppressed in the streets of Harlem, you are also supporting the rights of the dispossessed and disempowered in the streets of Gaza and the West Bank. And that when you stand up against American dictatorship and insist on the principles of democracy, that in fact, you are preserving one of the very few remaining asylums for oppressed Muslims around the world. Where do you think oppressed Muslims are gonna go? Are they gonna go to Saudi Arabia? Are they gonna go to Egypt? Are they going to go to Syria? Where do oppressed Muslims go? They come to the United States, they go to England, they go to Europe. Why? Because there's no other choices. That's the only places that will provide them safety. So when you insist on keeping these countries democratic, committed to the higher values of humanity, you are also serving the interests of Muslims and Islam. Everything is interconnected. And you, as a Muslim, you have a duty. And we can sum up this entire duty with Allah's command, al-amr al-maruf, doing good. 
It's all too obvious. أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم. والحمد لله رب العالمين وسبحان الله العلي العظيم. رسول الله والسلام على محمد النبي الأمين الخاتم المرسل رحمة للعالمين. As Muslims, we owe a duty to to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. We owe ourselves a duty to stand by justice in every way we can. The problem of the the problem of the way that blacks in particular are treated in this country by the police can only be denied by someone who is truly truly an idiot by someone who is truly an idiot or a racist Because you cannot go any significant period of time without finding blacks killed by police, bird watching, jogging, even golfing. Someone had a car crash. Someone who had a cell phone and it and it died and then. Events led to an encounter with police that led to the person's death. A person selling CDs. A, a person who w- was walking from a corner. The list just goes on and on and on. And anyone that just does a simple research would discover how dangerous it is to be African American in this country and to be in the wrong place at the wrong time or to have an encounter with cops because the way they are trained, they're often culturally insensitive. They know nothing about black culture. And the way they are trained is to recognize threat according to what counts as a threat in their own little suburban cultures. So they wouldn't understand the cultural even gestures or acts or logic of others. I have to admit to you that even I, I'm so uh, increasingly since 9-11, increasingly, I'm consistently apprehensive about any encounter with, with the police that Whenever there's something, I always push my wife, who's Asian-American, to deal with the police because as an Arab man, I know the subtle change in tone when the police answers my questions. I am a law professor, and even when I invite 
police officers to speak in my law class. I can tell the little air of the condescending air by which they deal with me. Or the air of surprise that you're an Abu Fadl and you're a law professor. Or the little air of surprise that they work very hard to conceal when they learn what courses you teach. And that's even when they are my guests in my classes. But no one understands the type of fear that the victims of racism can feel and how that fear can translate to a police officer into, a sus into suspicion unless you are in fact placed into that situation. So my fear, my anxiety, the way it's going to be read by an officer is that I have something to hide. That's the nature of racism. And as Muslims, we have an affirmative obligation to recognize and study and understand racism because it is an illness that our religion came to eradicate. As I've mentioned before, racism is a jahiliyyah. It's a jahiliyyah that the seerah of the Prophet والسلام, time and time again, when the Prophet والسلام, would find a person mocking another person because of their lineage, because of their race, because of their color, because of their social status, they would jahiliyyah. You are a person who has jahiliyyah inside them. And jahiliyyah is the antithesis of Islam. You cannot be a good Muslim. You cannot be a good Muslim and simply say our obligations is to see who is in power and to kowtow and, and bow, bow down and to basically please whoever is in power and not worry about who is oppressed and who is suffering and who is victimized. This is not an Islam that colonized, imperialized, Racialized Islam is not an Islam. The Islam of justice is an Islam. For Muslims, what how does what does that concretely translate into? As a Muslim, you are rewarded by Allah. You actually receive an ajr. 
if you go and you protest injustice, other people might go out there and protest injustice and feel good, but you, as a Muslim, you're actually rewarded hasanat. It goes to your Jannah counter. The longer the hours you stand protesting injustice, the more rewards you get. Someone asked me, or several wondered, are we limited to peaceful protests? And my answer is absolutely yes. The minute you exceed the bounds of peaceful protests, you are recategorized into a criminal. Peaceful protest is protected by the Constitution. But non-peaceful protest is not protected. And you as a Muslim, you need to be protected because you know that you are also disempowered. And if you do anything that breaks the law, you are giving them an excuse to wipe you from the face of this earth. But beyond that, the Prophet and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly taught us, you cannot, you, you cannot punish someone because of the sins of another. You just can't. So you can't destroy a car and say, well, it's because I'm angry. The owner of the car, that's not their fault. In Islam, we, we can't just commit aggressions against the rights of others and say, well, the, the, the ends justify the means. We can't, in Islam, it's just not a possibility. But keep in mind that it is an amazing thing that every time you testify against injustice, now, of course, a lot of, lot of people say, well, does it really make a difference if I protest? Listen. Donald Trump became, was elected, be, came to power because of the silence of those who should have spoken. Yes, it makes a huge difference. And what difference does it make is that the louder you speak, the more you keep the energy of the pro of protest alive. And the more you keep the energy of protest alive, the more people get off their behinds and go to the polls and make sure that the supporters of Donald Trump don't have a majority in the Senate. And they make sure that the next president of the United States is not a racist. And respects the values of American democracy. Things are connected in a logical fashion. You as a Muslim, if you go vote, you are rewarded by Allah for doing the right thing. If you rewarded Allah just for smiling at someone's face or just saying, Assalamu alaikum, can you imagine when you stand to protest injustice? 
But if you vote and you tell yourself, well, I'm going to vote because I'm voting according to what's good for my pocketbook, not according to what's good for Muslims everywhere and human beings, but all I care about is my job, my income, then no, you're not rewarded by Allah. Why should Allah reward the selfish? It drives me absolutely crazy when I meet Muslims who will say, well, you know, I support Trump because it's good for the economy. Well, how about Islamophobia? Well, how about racism? Well, how about the sexism? Well, how about the, the, his entire criminal conduct before he became president? Well, then that means you are a jahili human being. You're not a Muslim. Because what you care about is your pocketbook, not values, not morality. You care whether you're going to pay more taxes or less taxes. You care about whether your income is going to go up or go down. You care about whether you're going to have a job or not have a job. Not moral values. One final point about this entire thing. Time and time, I've told you that we are living in a moment where there is a there is an a, 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 an an aggressive war being fought over the identity of Islam and what Islam will mean in the future. You as a Muslim in the United States and in the West generally, when you support Muslims who accept racism as simply a fact of life, or who don't even think racism is a, is a priority, something, or who don't even talk about racism. They never mention racism under khutbahs or under durus because they think, ah, well, you know, no, it's white people are doing the best they can. And it's... We Muslims are responsible for the institutions that represent us as Muslims in the West. And if these institutions are associated with neocons and associated with evangelical Christians and associated with right-wing Zionists and associated with people like Kushner and the, the, and, and the annexation of Jerusalem and associated with everything that is evil, how do you expect me not to look at you as evil? If you basically join the party of Shaitan, you are cheering. You when when you know you go into a, into a, a, a stadium and they ask you what team are you on? Are you going to ask to be seated with the? 
fans of the shaitan or the other. You, every time as a Muslim, decide where to take your Islam from, you are helping shape the world we live in. There are, can you imagine if a country like the Emirat who funds the type of Islam it wants in the United States and the West more than any other Muslim country right now. But a country like the Emirat, which as I mentioned in last khutbah, urgently helped Las Vegas reopen, which by the way just happened yesterday, I think. What do you think and helped Donald Trump get elected and helped put CC in power and helped do what they did in Yemen and Libya? When a country like the Emirat has financially benefited the Trump administration, the administration, that completely ignored Muslim rights in Jerusalem and is now supporting Israel in the annexation of the West Bank. What do you think the Emirates' position is about live, Black Lives Matter and about the demonstrations that are going on in the United States? I'll tell you, Emirati Shiuch already said it's haram to go out in any demonstration. If you go out in a demonstration to, to protest the murder of Floyd, that's haram. Don't you have an obligation to find out who in the United States follows Emirati Islam and to do take the moral stand that Allah expects you to take? A news item that all of us should be aware of. If I can find it. This is, according to Israeli media, and so I'm just telling you what Israeli media is saying these days because it is Roger this is the um, um, the Israeli newspaper Israel Hayom Israel Hayom basically means Israel today um, they published articles that say that Saudi Arabia the Emirat, Egypt, and Jordan have secretly communicated to Israel 
that they are in favor or will at least not oppose the Israeli plan to annex major parts of the West Bank. And that while publicly they are going to condemn it, they let know that they let Israel know that privately they're on their side and they're not going to give them any problems. If the Israeli papers are in fact accurate, and in the past Israel Hayom has tended to be accurate, things that they've said turned out to be true later. This is yet another betrayal. All I can say is, and I'll leave this to another time and another khutbah, every event like this that passes convinces me that the current Saudi regime should not be the holy the custodian of the two holy sites. There is no way that you can justify not just giving up Jerusalem, but even giving up the, the, the lands of your Muslim brethren in Palestine. Sisi has lost his legitimacy a long time ago. This man should be in an international prison for all the human rights violations. So, you know, he's just a criminal. Bin Zayed is a thug and a criminal with a huge bank account. He's like a mafia character, an outlaw. Everything evil in the world Bin Zayed is involved in. The one, the part that concerns me as a Muslim the most is who represent Mecca and Medina. And when the representative of Mecca and Medina acts in such a morally decrepit way, that's the point where I have to say, as a Muslim, I object and I object and will meet Allah objecting. Being allowed to go to a trip on Hajj or Umrah, I, I can't, I don't know if Allah will even accept it from me. All these people who rush to do Hajj and Umrah, do you think Allah is going to accept it to you when you, when you stood by seeing the, the, the custodians of the two holy sites give up Jerusalem and give up so much, fail to, report, to, to, to support the Muslims of China, fail to support the Muslims of the, the, the Rohingyas, impose dictatorships all over the Muslim world and waste billions of dollars and support administrations like the Trump administration and then on top of it all sell Palestine literally sell it for absolutely nothing. اللهم اغفر عنا اللهم اغفر لنا اللهم ارحمنا اللهم اهدنا لأقرب من هذا رشد يا علي عظيم الله forgive our sins guide us to the straight path 
strengthen our faith and let us see beauty and truth for what it is. And Allah, Allah grant us the wisdom to correct the course of our lives always. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Inna Allah, 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 In